Welcome to the Tabletop Summary, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. Here are your hosts. Listeners, voyagers, friends of all kinds, welcome, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so good to be with you again. My name is Josh, and as always, with me is my wonderful co-host. I'm Andrew. And uh, this week we have a special guest. It is David Chirkop, designer of Hamlet. Um, it's pretty obvious if you go to BGG, he's kind of the new hotness. I think he's currently ranked number four on the hottest games and the most, he's number one on the anticipated games at Essence. So we are privileged to have a kudos, awesome designer here to show us a game that I'm personally excited to check out. Um, Hamlet is very interesting to me for several reasons. One, because I identify with his love of the RTS thought process, but just the beginning portion, like the building of your own little village and the guys running from places to collect wood and stuff like that. And so this game takes that and makes it a board game, but also these really interesting non-common use shapes in the buildings is infinitely interesting to me. I wanna hear all about this stuff, but David, please just take a moment, tell us about yourself. Hi, hi, thanks for having me, guys. I'm David, I'm, I'm a game designer. I've been a game designer for a while now. Um, for, I think, since 2014, I kind of sort of considered myself a game designer. I don't know, there's, there's this weird point, I think, for game designers when you're like, okay, I have another job or, or I, I'm trying to, to be a game designer and I'm calling myself a game designer. But when, in 2014, I, I decided to start calling myself that. So I guess a, a few years. I'm from Malta. I was born and raised here. I worked on a lot of board games. I'm the CEO of Mighty Boards uh, and one of the founders. And I also used to do video games for a long while. Um, mm. I, I worked on the Witcher series, on Cyberpunk 2077, and Thronebreaker, and Gwent. Uh, Just a for... few small independent titles nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> very, very impressive. <laughs> yeah, so so I had a bit of a gap in my life where where I started making board games, and then I got a job at CD Projekt Red. I moved to Poland and lived there for like five years and did that. And in the meantime, was growing Mighty Boards. Uh, and then at some point after after we finished Cyberpunk, I returned to Malta and we kind of sort of started taking Mighty Boards uh, with a bit of a, uh, with a bit more of a sort of focus rather than a side thing. And now I do board games full time. I love it. That's great. Yeah, no. So we got you on because uh, Andrew was really excited about Hamlet and wanted to talk to you. And I'm looking on the BGG page right now as of, um, this is recorded September 29th. So one week before Essen, I'm looking at the top, 10 and hamlet is ranked as of right now number five on the hotness and you are in excellent company but you are right between star wars the clone wars and the new tainted grail expansion and you're beating out arc nova and twilight inscription so beating out arc nova that's that's i know it's been this year has been the year of the arc nova but i played it recently actually Hmm. yeah arc nova is great which really gives you know some you know, it really gives some, you know, momentum and weight behind Hamlet. Like, how does it feel to be in, like, that kind of company on the hotness? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, how is it supposed to feel? I feel I feel great. I feel, I feel, <laughs> I feel, 
uh, I feel <laughs> content, a little bit anxious, you know, how it is when you're up there and you're like, yeah. okay, what should I be doing now? Should I be uh, uh, talking to people, pushing the game more? I don't know. Uh, okay. My focus with Hamlet was, was, was to, to, to make the game and ship it as fast as possible. And I think, um, I think that has kind of created a, a great community of people who love Hamlet and who love what we've been doing as a company or, you know, in general as well. And, and I think it is thanks to kind of that community that we've managed to build that Hamlet manages to get up there onto the hotness. I don't know if it's, if it's particularly because of Hamlet as a game or if it's because of the community we've built around Hamlet uh, in some way. I don't know. Maybe it's both. I hope it's both. I think in all ways it has to be both. But also I think it speaks to the fact that you are bringing a game that people want. They want that thought process and they want the charm of that. And they're doing. you're doing things that are innovative in small ways, not necessarily redesigning the entire genre of something, but you're taking it and doing it in such a way that people haven't seen and want to see. So congratulations and kudos to you Thank for that. You. I think that hits the nail on, on the head in many ways, like in terms of my thought processes. Because like, Hamlet, the point of Hamlet is for it to feel familiar, but at the same time, do that familiar thing in a slightly new way. But it's still meant to feel cozy. It's still meant to be something you've been wanting or something you've been thinking about. You know, there's a core, there's, there's, there's kind of a, a core element to village building as a genre and yes. as the way it should look and as the way it should feel. And, and in many ways, I've always felt like... The, the, the board gaminess of things have gotten in the way of how to make a village builder that works in the way that, <laughs> that, that really focuses on that feel, right? And Hamlet is trying to challenge that. It, it's a bit weird as a game and as a result. It, it doesn't fully follow all of the board game conventions, but that's on purpose because it's trying to go for an experience, a feeling. You know, I and, love that. that. That's so great. Awesome. We're going to talk about Hamlet a little more near the end of the show, and I can't wait to hear more about it. But let's go ahead and get our instruments running so we can start our pre-launch. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. Andrew, my friend, yes. what have you been playing recently? I've been to playing two quick games, so I'm going to go over both real quickly here. But one of them is uh, My Shelfie. It just popped up on Board Game Arena. This game is probably one of the better games I've played in the short, quick thought process with the worst name. Um, it's such an interesting little puzzle game where you're basically playing Connect Four with multiple set collection thought process. So you basically are trying to put colors in specific areas on your grid, but as you collect the pieces from the board and you drop them in, you'd have to drop them in one column only so you can take one two or three and you can basically drop them in one of the columns in whatever order you want to and you're trying to get the pieces to all kind of be in the same area and touching each other and stuff like that this game is so much better than i expected it being and once i've played it i kind of want to play it again and again and again it's the kind of thing that i could see being an epic night of two-player head-to-head five or six games in a row of this and playing best out of seven or something like that. It's really kind of interesting, and I recommend people try it out. Um, the other one I've been playing now is Point Salad, which is recommended to me by a lot of people. I really like this game as a very simplistic, you either take this or you take that, but you're building your own tableau. There's positives and negatives you have to factor in. Another really clever little card game I think I'm meant to add to my collection. So there's two things I've been playing a lot recently. Uh, Josh, what about you? 
Yeah, so I had the opportunity yesterday, actually, to play a little game called Pylos. Um, this is from, this is actually a lot older of a game, but recently Gigamech republished it along with their line of, like, wooden parlor games like Corridor and Quart, that's Quardo, I think is the best way, not best way to pronounce it. Uh, basically, it's a very simple game with a wooden board that has, like, a ring around it, a square wooden board with, like a, like, a little divot or moat that you put these Round spears are different colors, red and white, and in the middle is a grid of circles that you're supposed to put the circles, the little spheres in. The goal of the game is to be either the last person with spheres in their supply, or to be the um, person to put their last piece on top of this pile, because if you stack them, it's going to make a pyramid. So it's a really little simple abstract game that I think does a really good job in being an abstract. Um, it's... You know, it's it's one of those games that I can play in five minutes with someone who knows how to play. Like, it's just back and forth doing the best you can. I played it around three or four times yesterday. And the only problem I think there is is that there's an obvious strategy to it, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, try to if you make a like a like a section of four of your your little spheres in like a square, you get to take two back. And I just did that over and over again. And I won each game. So. I think it relies heavily on that, you know, trying to recall your your two two of your little spheres back to your supplies so you can play later. And I think it falls a little flat for me in that aspect because the first person to do that, with people who actually know how to play the game really well, will whoever does that first pretty much has won the game at that point because mm. if you're doing it well, you'll block somebody from getting it in the future. So it, it's it's five minutes, so it's fine. But um, I think it's a good parlor game to just have sitting out on your table. Like, hey, yeah. I'll play some Pylos and you teach someone how to play. It's like, oh, that's fun. That's really good. But for the price point it's at and the experience I got from it, it was just okay. Um, but that was Pylos by Gigamet Games. I've been playing Caper Europe. This is a game by Keymaster Games. Um, and uh, in this game, you are kind of trying to assemble a, a troop of... of burglars like thieves to, mm -hmm. to, do, to do a heist um, and and at the beginning of the game you choose which city you're going to want to do it in and there's there's a few you know classic cities there's Paris and Rome and Barcelona and each one of them has a different set of, of thieves and also abilities and items that you can add in your troop that are shuffled in with the main deck. Uh, and so it you, depending on which place you go do the heist, you're going to have a slightly different set of, uh, set of cards that you're going to be drafting. It's a drafting game. It's a very simple drafting game. And basically what happens is you then have like three Three kind of, uh, you know, you know the kind of Rainer Knizia style, like Lost Cities kind of thing, where yeah. there's three, a number of different points where you're trying to win. Yeah. It kind of works a little bit like that, but you're putting, you're you're, you're putting um, you're putting down thieves, and then after you've put down a thief, you're equipping them with different abilities or 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 items or or things that they need, you know, tools or to, to break saves and stuff like this, and they all have an ability on them, mm. and all of these are drafted one by one, so you, you choose a card, you've seen what you have, and then you pass it to the other player. It's a two-player game, and then you choose another card and you pass it to another player. So it, it, I, I think it's, it's, it's cute. I, I don't think the game does anything particularly groundbreaking, but it's, it's, it's really interesting in a drafting game because it's only two players. It, it hits a sweet spot. I'm, I'm, I'm very bad at memory games and things mm -hmm. about remembering what's in, in the hand. But it hits a sweet spot where I can plan a little bit ahead and know that, okay, I'm going to take this card. I'm going to give it 
to the other player. The chances of them taking that card are low. So I kind of have like a 70% chance of getting those cards back and being able to take it next round. You can make those sort of thoughts and choices, but because the game is basic enough to allow you to, to do that. Um, I, I, as, as I said, I don't think the game is particularly groundbreaking, but man, can Keymaster games, those guys make a product. Jesus. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that, but that game looks incredible. It is so beautiful. It's a, it's a gem to behold, to open. It has this really cool kind of French connection, you know, uh, yep. style uh, on the box and how everything is illustrated. It feels great to open. Everything feels great to punch. It's, the whole experience of interacting with the object is just polished to perfection. And, and, and you know, when I, I think the way that it's placed in the market to to you know as a two player kind of sort of maybe couples game or kind of as you said also leaving it out on the table and playing before or after dinner kind of thing it's mm -hmm. fast to set up and fast to play i think it's perfectly placed i think it's an excellent product awesome that was great sounds, sounds good caper europe was a big release for them because caper had been talked up so much by a bunch of you know prominent reviewers and i haven't had a chance to play either of them but i'm glad to hear that the production's nice because you know parks was beautiful and Pretty much almost everything Keymaster done is great, so I'm glad they're keeping that yeah. up. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the game is good. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's just maybe for me, I'm looking for something a bit hard, harder or, or, or deeper or something like this. But for the product that it's doing, I think it hits the nail on the head. So that was our pre-launch procedures. My instruments are telling me that we are ready to embark and dive deep into the story today. So let's close the hatch and head into the dive. All right, David, as I'm watching the octopus slide by the window, I think it's time for your story. Go ahead and kick us off. So I want, I want to tell the story of how I got started into board games, actually, and how, how this happened for me. Um, you know, I, I, I told, I, it happened through board games, of course, mm -hmm. because board games are those sort of things that make you meet people, make you, make you encounter uh, new characters or, you know, bring new people into your life. And, and, and board games themselves brought me a new career, in my case, and a new, a new, a new thing to love. You know, I, I, I started getting into board games around 2008, and I lived in Malta back then, and I, I do again now, but... Um, in Malta, back in 2008, I thought I was sure of this, um, based on the number of people here, that I was the only pe person in Malta who was playing board games. The only one. So anyone who I was playing board games with, it was either my mother, my sister, my cousins, my friends. Uh, I was 17 at the time. Okay. Um, uh, my my, I, I tried to get my girlfriend into them, but she absolutely hated every every single one I tried to introduce <laughs> her to. Um, um, so, so I was like, okay, wow, okay. So I play a little bit online, you know. Back then, there was no tabletop simulator or anything. There, I think there was board game arena or or Brechtpilvelt. Yep. Also okay. was there, and and I used to play a little bit on 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 a tool called Vassal, which some of my friends were. I using remember to that. Play yeah. Some stuff. Yeah. Uh, but there was none of the modern kind of sort of easy, no apps, very few, if any, uh, to, to to play games. No, 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 no. The re, re, revamped board game arena it was quite basic at the time. So anyway, I didn't have anyone to play with. But once I was on board, also getting games to Malta, it still is yeah. extremely expensive. I can imagine. So I remember I used to. I, I saved up as a seventeen-year-old. I saved up for like a month and a half to buy a copy of Agricola. 
And I remember I paid, I paid 40 euros to buy the game secondhand off eBay, mm-hmm. and I paid 60 euros to ship it. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to get the game. And I was like, oh my God, I got Agricola. You know, it had just come, just come it, it was kind of the hot new thing, at least for me, trying to get into these games. You know, it was maybe the fourth or fifth game that I got. Anyway, one day I'm scrolling through Board Game Geek a few years later, and I see that there's a reviewer who's gaining some sort of traction on, on, on the thing. And you know how you have the little flag yeah. of, of, on Board Game Geek of where you're from? And he had a Maltese flag. And I was like, that's not possible. Like, <laughs> there's no way in the world that there's someone making reviews for the international board who loved board games so much to have gotten to this point, right? Um, so I said, okay, you know what? Let me try. So I send a BGG message. I'm like, hey, I'm a board gamer. I live in Malta. I've been trying to find people to play with for like four or five years. If you have all of these games and if you play so much, please let's meet, let's play a game. And uh, I didn't, uh, it was maybe the second time I was seeing a video from Rado. It was Richard Ham, yeah. Rado, who lived in Malta at the time, uh, who is now a very big reviewer. Back then, he was just busting out, kind of, just kind of becoming popular and, and, and his show becoming a thing. And he messaged me back, and I was like, "Oh wow!" And he's like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I'm about to do my worst uh, Richard Ham impression." Um, <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll come meet you, and uh, and uh, we'll we'll play a game." So he came over to my mom's house. I lived with my mom at the time still. Um, he came over, and he's like, "Okay," he brought the Great Zimbabwe, okay. the, the Splotter game. You know, it's a it's a big game. I loved it, and we played through. I beat him. He was surprised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was like, "Hey, uh, I have this group of friends, you know, uh, that 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 uh, play board games quite frequently. They're 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 in Malta." And I'm like, "What? Really? There's people who are playing? Probably the only group of friends who are playing." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. They're meeting tomorrow night. I'll just send an email, introduce you to these people, right?" And I was like, "Okay, cool, great. You know, introduce me to these people." And that was that was it. Later, I find out that he came. He he didn't want to introduce me before he meets me because he was afraid that board gamers might be, uh, you know, this board gamer I don't know, maybe he's weird, maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't want him in this group, right. you know, so he came to my place instead of no, inviting me to his so that he can leave if he needs to, you know, yeah. um, and then and then, uh, and then then I went to meet these guys for for a board game, and uh, I was player six uh, in, in, in a big full-on game of Eclipse, you know, wow. was, again, it was, it was, it was really hot game at the time. Uh, great game. I love that game still uh, till today. And, and we're sitting there and I'm playing and I realized that recently within that the year prior or the few months prior, the, um, there was a, there was basically a group of, of people from ITU in Copenhagen, which is the, the, the Institute, it was at the time the biggest game studies Institute in, in, in the world and, or at least in Europe. Um, they had basically moved some of those staff to Malta and they started an institute here wow. in Malta to teach games, to teach game studies. And I was like, and I, I, I started talking with Gordon, who was the director of the, of the Institute and, and the, the lead researcher. He published books with MIT about game immersion and stuff. And he's a Maltese guy, but he hadn't lived in Malta for, for, for like 15 years and he just returned. And, and, and we started talking and he's like, you know what? Yeah, I think you'd be really good for my course. And like, what do you mean? It's like, I, I was a, a, a podiatrist. I was a foot doctor at the time, you know, building my career, budding, you know, starting to get into private practice and starting to get better at this. And he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, you should, you should really enroll in my, in my master's degree. And I'm like, uh, 
what? <laughs> what are we talking about? While we're, you know, while he's kicking my ass in a game of, of, of Eclipse, you know, like we're rolling <laughs> dice, he's destroying all my dreadnoughts. He's like, you should join my course and roll the dice again. I'm like, oh my God, that, that is crazy. And I remember I didn't sleep for maybe three or four days. I dreamt, I, I had vivid dreams about, you know, am I going to do this massive change in my life? Am I going to because it was a full-time course, right? right? I couldn't do it in the evenings or anything. I had to let go of everything, quit my job, and start a new degree. Um, after I had, you know, graduated two years prior, after a lot, a lot of studying, you know, um, and I was like, uh. anyway, I, I called him four or five days later. I told him, can you send me the link? I'm really interested. I submitted my, I was like, okay, I'm going to submit my application. I don't have any games background apart from my love for board games and I do want to be a designer. You know, I was trying to do stuff, but because I guess a lot of board gamers who, who love games end up wanting to be designers at some point, or at least do dabble with design at some point in time. You know, it's something that a lot of people who are opinionated think they can do better than what they receive. So they try it and and some some succeed, some don't, some realize it's hard and go away, <laughs> some are not some aren't able to finish anything because of other commitments in life and some actually get stuff published and then you know continue to to, to do stuff so so and uh, and i enrolled i put in all of my background and i got an acceptance letter for this course so i quit my job and went back to uni studying this uh, studying the, this degree so board games made me meet to like change my life within i don't know Two within days. Two days, yeah. They changed my life within two days. Eventually, through this course, I designed and then we held hands, which was my first game that was published. That one, one I published it online, and Rado made a review of it, and it, it blew up. People were really excited about the game. It won the Golden Geek Award mm -hmm. for the best print-and-play game. This was 2014 at this time. Um, and then it got published the year, a couple of years later, and then I, I made uh, the Pursuit of Happiness and Petrocore, and then and then I moved, and then I basically I haven't seen a patient since I don't know twenty fifteen <laughs> probably, um, and now here we are. And now the, the Gordon, the person who convinced me to become uh, to enroll in his course, is now my business partner on Mighty Boards, and he's the co-owner and another director on Mighty Boards. So eventually. Uh, two people in this group that I met through Richard within that, those two days ended up being partners with me on Mighty Boards. And basically, we became kind of a group of those people who stayed, became the founding members of, of, of Mighty Boards as a company, uh, um, which is the only company in Malta. Not the only company, the only <laughs> board game company operating on an international level. I'm, there is there nothing else in Malta. <laughs> yes, there are no companies in Malta. There's just me making board games and beaches. Wow. <laughs> there is so much cool to unpack in that. Number one, that you met somebody, and that person was a big person in the industry now, but wasn't the time, right? So then you had that, you had a good connection with that. Then they led you to other people who then led you to change your entire career arc, which is so cool. And then you went into that career arc, you you knuckled down, you did the work, and then you came out with a great little game, which it really is. I mean, I've never played it, but I've heard plenty about it. I know it well enough as far as that goes. And then that led you to an arc of, of building these other games. And I find it really interesting 
Pursuit of Happiness is, by the way, one of the ones that I'm still waiting on my, on my huge Kickstarter for, and I'm very excited about when I get that. But most people design from a place of what they know. So I'm actually really shocked you don't have a podiatrist game yet. What's going on with like the, <laughs> the foot doctor game that needs to be coming out of your system at some point soon? I love, uh, you know, a few people have asked me that, like, why don't you make a game about feet? And I'm like, guys... Guys, have you heard yourself? <laughs> have you listened to yourself? Like, who would want that? Who would want that? You know, you, when, I told, when I told you... I'm Quentin a Tarantino. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> All right. When I told anyone that I'm a podiatrist, the first thing they say is, why? No, no. So, 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 so then why would there be a game about feet and treating feet and foot fungus and, uh, I don't know, male surgery? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Kickstarter exclusives on that one would be wild. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nail so, trimmings. There, there's <laughs> something. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Shivering. Man, I mean, I'm not a person fascinated with feet for the most part. So I'm not, I'm not sure you'd have my, my back on that one. Sorry, David. <laughs> but um, there's something inspiring to me about that story. How you basically left your, your work, your career behind to pursue your passion in games. And that's inspiring to me right now because that's what I'm going through. I, I, I have my associates in hospitality with event and restaurant management. And I recently switched to lots of life circumstances to make tabletop my career um, as either, with either design development or event planning, one of the three. Um, still working at it. I have a job at my local game store just to give me some exposure and help with events there. And the... What I want to ask you is like for people like me who are trying to do this, who are taking it very seriously and not, you know, what, what, what advice do you have for them? Like what, what, what was your journey? Like, I want to hear just some tidbits of this, this, this journey you had to get where you are today. What would you say to people like me who are trying to do that? I, I think, I think two things. Um, one is immerse yourself in the community. This, this community is, is quite small uh, and, and the tabletop kind of sort of thing is, well, it's growing, but it's still a relatively small thing. And frankly, I think finding a job in this, in this industry is a lot more about knowing someone who, who, who knows you, who knows that you know a lot about board games, uh, and then you get hired through there or a friend of a friend or a friend who recommends you. Like, I think this industry, if you want to like get hired in, in, in a company, like, like the, the best way to do that is just to, to go play games, meet people, go to conventions, uh, sign up for, 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 for things like, uh, I'm, I'm saying people who want to do like sales, for instance, or people who want to do things like community management and stuff like that. The best thing to do is sign up for like volunteering at a booth uh, and, and, or, or, or play testing. Uh, all of these could lead to like dev jobs or, or, or community management jobs or sales jobs or, or, and I know a lot of people that have grown into this just by being there and like, for instance, having social media accounts where they post a lot about board games or, or you know, being heavily involved in, the, in, in, in playtesting people's games and then, and then eventually they start making their own or they, start, they get a full-time job as a developer. If you want to make games specifically, like actually be a game designer, I think the, the, the most important piece of advice that I could give to anyone is pick something that's small enough that you are able to finish. 
I think that's the most important thing. Like a massive ambitious project that's not finished is worth nothing in comparison to a very tiny game that is actually finished that can be shown to someone, that can be played by someone. And I think that's, that's, that's the core, the crux of it all, finish something. Yes. Because that's the hardest thing. And once you've done that, then you can maybe do something a bit bigger. But don't start. Like if you have an ambitious project, a dream, a thing that you really want to do, don't make it your first game. Make it your third or fourth. Uh, and and do other things first. Do smaller things first. Start start with with something that you can actually manage because the amount of things you will learn by the time you will get to making your dream game, then you will have enough things. But one, you'll have stuff that's ready so people can see you and you can grow. And mm-hmm. two, you'll have enough experience by the time you get to making the thing you want to want you want to do uh, to do it right. And and yeah, that those are I think are the two key things: community and. I guess reverse ambition, <laughs> like like be 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 honest with yourself on 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 finish on something you actually have the time to finish. Because many times, m- many of us like start things and then abandon them halfway or never actually reach the end. Or we start something or we start six things at once and never finish any of them. You know th- that is all nothing in terms of credibility, <laughs> right? I think that's really good advice, and that follows a lot of people that I've talked to that say, you know, if you really want to try to design a game, join one of these little design challenges, whether it be button shies or BPGs, just get in one of these contests that's like 18 cards, 54 cards, get your head around what it takes to actually complete one of those projects, and then watch how it gets judged. Watch how the feedback comes back. Watch how people play your game. Playtesting is one thing that's obviously told over and over, but you have to playtest with the right people. You have to find your network of people who are good at playtesting and they're good at giving the feedback the way that you need to get the feedback and how you can grow and stuff like that. I think this is huge. So I echo your sentiment. Just start small, get something done, and learn from there. I think what you mentioned now about 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 the, the restrictions, basically when it comes to designing something and finishing something, giving yourself a rule set or some sort of restriction makes it so much easier to do it. So I want to make a game with 14 cards. Boom, there's a restriction. Yep. You have something to start with. And that's why game jams are so good, right? They, they, they give you yes. a theme or they give you something that will at least get you started within the set of rules. Within A lot of people think, oh no, I want complete freedom. I want to be able to do everything. In reality, it's so much easier, so much better to make a game with restrictions. It's, it, it, it's going to make it so much, it's going to make the process so much smoother. So yeah, the, the, that is a great advice as well. I mean, my first game was a game jam game. Um, the, you know, and then we held hands. It was made in 48 hours. Uh, so that's another restriction. Wow. It was made Impressive. in 48 hours uh, with, with uh, well, okay, we didn't sleep. We literally worked 48 hours on it. <laughs> but, but we won that game jam, with, which was the only board, because it was like a global game jam thing. I don't know if, uh-huh. where basically there's multiple hubs across the world who, who are doing a game jam at the same time. And it's organized by the indie video game community. And we were the only yeah, okay. the only group who did board games, and everyone was like, "Why are you making a board game? Like this is kind of like video games are so much cooler, you know." And then we made the board game. We won. We won that game jam because they give awards to the best. Like we, we completely crushed that game jam. And then, and then 
started a, a small kind of sort of board game renaissance in Malta, I could say. Like the, the next game jam next year, there were three board games. The, the game jam after, there were a bit more, you know? And so people started oh, trying, to make, trying to make that because they, they, they started seeing this as an actual viable option. And, it's, and board games are great. Uh, and and, and uh, for, for 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 you to start making games in general, right? Because all 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 it is a board game is uh, a game that's made on an engine of pen and paper. You know they have these like Unreal Engine or Unity. Right. Pen and paper is an engine, and you just have those restrictions that are gonna that's you know that are gonna make you get a game done. That's all it is. You have everything. You can design everything and everything you want, but because you're making them in pen, in pen and paper, that's gonna impart some sort of influence on the stuff that you're making yourself right it's always an exchange between the engine it works exactly the same way if you're working with unity unity is going to put things into the game that you that that are just unity things that are in the game and it's going to push you to make a specific type of game it works the same way plus for anybody who's not paying attention all the board games that are great out there are becoming video games so they're turning into what turns into video games later so just get on the bandwagon and get the earlier version that's what it is because because the cool thing about board games is that 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 it gives like video games are are a little bit stuck in a rut right because because they're, they're they've become so big and so expensive to make that 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 game design is no longer something that there is any space to innovate on it's too risky to make something new it's too risky to make something completely right. different but 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 board games are are kind of like a designer's a designer's kind of a force Kind of where, where where game design is up and front and forward, right? So it, it it legitimizes designs and legitimizes new mechanics that then influence the the, the board game universe. And there's like, but it worked there, so it's less risky for us to do it because it's going to be much more expensive for us to do it actually in in, in video game form. If you see a lot of card based roguelikes, for instance, I don't know, Slade Aspire and all of these, these are all inspired by by basically board game mechanics that we've been playing for many, many years. But, you know, um, now they're, they're, they've gone into the, I guess you could call the video game market a more of a mass market kind of market than board games are. But yeah, we, we, we were doing this before it was cool. I never thought of board games as hipsters, but now I guess we are. We're on the cutting edge. We're doing the cool stuff. And then all the other, all the other mass market kids follow suit. I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, I have a quick question for you. As someone who did do video games at some point, so you have a, a background in both on some level. For those out there who I've heard this question of, they love board games, they know board games, they have board game ideas and concepts, but they want to dabble in the app side or they want to dabble on board game arena side. How difficult is the programming on those things? And if they know nothing, would it take them two years to learn? Would it take them three months to learn? Like, what's the... What's the time frame that it would take to learn enough to build a basic video game off of a board game design? Do, do you mean like a completely new app or, or within, within an engine like Tabletop Simulator or, or like stuff like Board Game Arena I, and Tabletop Simulator? Board Game Arena is a bit harder. Like Tabletop Simulator is like yeah. two weeks to learn it. It's okay. You can, you can set up, a, you can make right. modules very quickly. Board Game Arena requires some, some programming usually i haven't never made one there but i would assume uh, that that's the case and that requires a little bit more time okay and it requires a little bit more you know training i guess in in, in learning how to write a language right and then going into making an app that that is that is an app full-on into like and publishing into into yourself on your own uh, that's pretty tough 
that, that I don't even, it's tough to do it on your own. <laughs> I mean, let alone, you'd probably need a team and, and, a, and quite a bit of money. I mean, it's not different. Making a board game as a video game is not that different than making a video game. Um, sure, you have the game design that's done and ready for you, but from a programming perspective, these aren't very different things. Um, a board game made as a video game is just a video game from a, from a, from a video game perspective. So at that point, when you're doing that, then you're pretty much, pretty much making video games, right? Doing that and making a small, a small kind of uh, uh, app for the phone, like a small indie game, maybe, uh, the, 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 that mm-hmm. would be a similar amount of, of work, I would say, similar amount of, of skill required. All right. So there you go. You got the three levels there. You got your tabletop simulator. Super easy. Go ahead and jump on that right now. Then you've got your board game arena. It takes a little bit more work. And then you got your app, which, you know, go ahead and hire your team and drop your 50 grand and uh, make that happen that way. Good. That answers the question. I've been asked that a lot and I don't have that answer. So thank you for filling me in a little bit as far as that goes. All right, so David, what game are you looking forward to playing in the near future? What are you looking forward to? What's on your radar? So I'm going to Essen next week, right? Um, and mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of cool stuff there, and uh, and it's very difficult to choose which which one to talk about. But I think I think the game that's really on my radar is, is Turing Machine, and yeah, uh, it looks like it's doing something really different. Um, I, 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 and it looks like it's really cool and it's taking an idea and making a game out of something that we haven't seen before. And I yeah. love the way they've designed the product as well, you know, with the cutouts in the, in the, in the box itself and, and, you know, and the cutouts in the cards and all of that. I don't really know exactly what to expect or exactly what it is, but, but, you know, um, it reminds me a little bit of Micro Macro. And no, I know it's very different, very, very different, but Micro Macro okay. All was, right. was another one of these games that took the concept of, of, of these kind of sort of hidden, hidden elements, you know, these Where Waldo kind of thing. And they said, okay, let's apply this to a board game kind of format. Let's make something. And, and what, what came out of that is pretty much a new type of game, right? It was applying something else into board games like that. And Turing Machine seems like it's doing something similar with another concept. Let's turn these analog computers into into a board game. And I think that's really cool. And I think it's designed, it looks very good. It looks very, it's well-made kind of product. So I'm really looking forward to to getting that at this and I'm going to go straight to find it. I have seen it played. I've watched it played a little. It is incredibly interesting. And you're right. The package design is spectacular. I've even heard that if you don't put it back the right way, you can't tell what the name is. So you actually have to put the lid on a specific way so it says Turing Machine on it, which I think is is amazing. That's great. Uh, the thing I'm looking forward to playing, actually, uh, I've had a number of people who have come up to me and told me that uh, if I've not played Seasons, I need to play that immediately. So apparently that's up my alley and I know almost nothing about it except that you're a bunch of wizards playing elementals and their cards and drafting and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. And I also see that's on Board Game Arena. So I'll be able to play that in the next week or so. I'm looking forward to that. Hey, Josh, what are you looking forward to? All right, Josh, what are you looking forward to? What's on your radar? 
So you've all heard of Magic the Gathering and Pokemon and Digimon trading yep. card games. You know, it's legalized gambling for gamers. It's it's super popular. It's people. <laughs> there's people who don't play board games. They all they do is they play Magic. That's all they play. Well, I'm jumping into a little game that I'm excited about called Flesh and Blood. I don't know if any of you have heard of this, but this is a uh, a TCG, a CCG right. game. Um, this is a TCG from Legend Story Studios. And it's a company that is trying, I wouldn't say trying to rival Magic, but their whole idea is that they are making this game for people to play in person. That's kind of the idea behind the name Flesh and Blood. Um, it is a combat simulator type thing. The idea of the game is that you have a hero, a ninja, a guardian, a warrior, and you build your deck. Um, for those who don't know, it's like a deck construction mechanic. You buy packs and you build your deck to try to build an engine as you play a game to defeat your opponent to get them down to zero health. And what I like about it is that magic's all about summoning spells and monsters and things like that, where this is more trying to simulate a back and forth combat. So you play a card, the opponent has a chance to respond to that by playing a defense reaction of their own, and you keep going back and forth on this mechanism called a chain until you can play no more cards, and you have the opportunity to see how much did my opponent defend and how much did I attack with. Take those numbers, whatever the damage is, you subtract from your who you're ever targeting's health. And I'm excited about this for a couple of reasons. One, I like the idea of the back and forth, the chain mechanism. And two, I just kind of want to get into a TCG. Because, um, you know, I, I work, <laughs> with the game store I work at, I have to talk about magic. And I know a lot more about, for someone who ne doesn't play magic, I know a lot about magic, I think, having to have to sell it. And, right. you know, people are buying magic and Pokemon all day long. And I look at this and there's just a little shelf of just flesh and blood not being played. I like I know there's like six people around this entire area who play Flesh and Blood, and you know I was like you know what I I want to play it. It looks cool. I like the name better than just Magic the Gathering. No knock against Magic, but I'm excited to get it and just have a, a game where I can you know sit down with people, have a social experience with them. So that's what I'm looking forward to. It's on my radar is Flesh and Blood. Okay, well now we go to a part what's on all our radar. We go to a part. We're gonna have a community radar, and I want to hear a little bit more about Hamlet, David. So. The question I have about <laughs> Hamlet is, I want to ask you one question. I'm sure Andrew has a million questions, but just really briefly, so we don't take too much of your time because we're running out of oxygen down here. What what is what was the process, the thought process into the design and look of Hamlet? Because I'm looking at BGG stuff right now. It looks like no other game I've seen in a very long time. So what inspired you to make that kind of, I don't know, I don't know, oblong's the right word, but very unique and distinguishing shape to the game. That that was kind of. Yeah, the, the the shapes were were coming from. So I wanted to create a sense of space, right? The biggest goal of Hamlet is to create a sense of space. And when I was analyzing in my mind what creates the sense of space for me, or at least what created the sense of space when I was playing these old, because you know the inspiration for Hamlet is these old kind of the settlers, not of Catan, the old video game. I mean, Warcraft and mm -hmm. all of these RTSs where you have a village that's growing organically and you're placing things next to each other because you need to place them there. You place the wood, you know, the woodcutter next to the woods, and then you place a, you place a warehouse close to that so that you can move stuff into it. And the way things grow are because of necessity or because of of of, of events that happen in the village that place things in specific locations and reasons, right? So I wanted this organic feeling, which I felt that hexes were too uniform for, um, and they mm -hmm. weren't able really to generate that 
that kind of thing. So what 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 the, 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 the weird shapes do is that it forces you to 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 place things as an, in a necessary way. Uh, and and there's the and and because of that it creates a very different village every time. You can't always place the building exactly where you need it because uh, the, 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 the the shapes that they generate is kind of simulating a little bit the natural kind of sort of landscape of the world. So 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 you you can't place the sawmill here because it doesn't fit. Why doesn't it fit? In in in, in the simulation of it, it doesn't fit because maybe there's a big mountain there, or there, or the landscape doesn't allow it, or it's impossible to build a road, so we can't do it, right? So having things that force you to create things a little bit differently, and and then the story that comes out of that. So oh, I wasn't, I had to place the sawmill here. It's really far from the from the from from the um, woodcutter. Uh, and and I have to travel a long distance now to be able to get the wood to refine into timber on the other side. Like I wanted players to say these sort of things. Oh no, it, this is too far from that. Oh no, I need to go farther away to be able to get it. Which I felt a lot of village builders don't actually allow that to happen. And this is the, the, the biggest reason for this is not that they're not focusing on it. It's because many times when you are abstracting, and especially with board games when you need to simplify things, the things that create that sense of space are often things that become extremely fiddly in board game form. Um, so, so what are the things that I really loved in those RTS games? It was the villagers grabbing things and moving them across the village and watching one going there, the other one going there, the other one going a different way and seeing that thing come alive, right? Um, if you were to do movement of those individual workers, if you were to just translate it and just have to move the workers physically from side to side, it would become very fiddly very fast and it would become a counting exercise. Movement in board games is a very difficult problem to solve. Um, because, yeah. because, and movement is what creates place. Like distance is movement. Distance without movement is nothing. So right. I needed to find a way to have this movement um, in the game without it being movement per se, right? Um, and this comes out of those different, differently shaped tiles that force you to create a type of thing that is different every time and the movement of resources through the networks that are built within those things. And that creates a sense of place, a sense of distance, of things being farther away from each other. Um, that's mostly the whole thing. <laughs> I love that. It's such an interesting thought process. And I'm, I'm imagining this is where the donkey part comes into, right? The yeah. movement of resources. Can you, can you talk a little bit about this whole donkey thing, which fascinates me? Yeah, so, so, so th th this is it. I, 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 originally, there were no donkeys in Hamlet. Originally, it was, it was the workers that were carrying resources, right? In some, in some sort of way, sort of or form. But what, create, what, what happened then was that for you to be able to carry stuff, you know, grab and carry this whole pick up and deliver thing is extremely frustrating when in a, in a board game format. And eventually yeah. we cut that out. There were different ways that it worked, but eventually we had to cut it out because it was too fiddly. And what happened then, as soon as we did that, is Hamlet became a very standard Euro game. You know, it became a kind of sort of fulfill, fulfill contracts kind of thing, convert resources, fulfill contracts kind of thing, without really having a sense of place. Uh, and so I needed to reintroduce movement, but it couldn't be on the workers because of because of this reason. In fact, you'll see in Hamlet the workers dash from one side to another really quickly. It's more about it's it's more similar. It's not exactly worker placement, but it's more similar to worker placement. It's basically if I can access through a road, then I can go there, right? If I have a road built to that building, then my worker can work there. And then 
I separated the movement from the action taking. And that way, by separating those two, I could create two kind of sort of counterbalances in some way. So one, one thing, the, the worker is giving you that immediate, immediate ability to do something, which is really important in board games, right? Because you want to be able to take an action and you don't yes. want to set up that action three or four turns. You want to feel like you're doing something and something that is happening. You want an action that gives you a reward. Right, so that action is done into these these instantaneous kind of working workers, and then the movement and the sense of place is separated and is done through the donkeys. And the donkeys work t- similar to to a train game in some way. They're, they're basically a network, a network building thing, but it can move. Right, so imagine a redistributable network in some sort of way. So you're placing them in line, and they're like I, I usually call it the donkey conga, like because. The, <laughs> Basically, what you're doing is you're passing. In some way, the way I imagine it is that the, 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 some some donkey is transporting the resource from one into within the tile and then passing it to the other donkey who's transporting it within the tile and then passing it on. So if you create a line of donkeys, then you can bring a resource from there to there. But the donkeys move slowly, so you need to set that up. And then if you if you want to maybe move something else which is not reachable by your donkey network, you need to be clever to prepare enough in time to be able to move them and reconfigure your network. And donkeys are workers, so you can buy more of them and create more of them. And that means that one of the ways you can be better at something is be better at moving things. And then you can have someone who is able to create stuff, to refine, who's good at refining things. And then there's you who's able to move things. And because you're all working within the same communal village, then you could be specializing in generating stuff. And then I'm the one who's moving them around and refining and and delivering them to the church or delivering them to the market to sell them off, you know? And the the way the game works is that it rewards both of us. If you've generated those resources because you're good at refining, then my delivery to the market using your resource is going to give points to both you and I. And and in many ways, this creates ability to specialize, but it also creates a lot of dynamics of like, okay, I need to do an action with this, this, within this communal village, and I need to see if this action is going it's going to be beneficial to everyone, but it needs to be beneficial to me the most, or at least, right. can you do it next turn anyway? Because if you can, then might as well do it and take some of your points, right? It's 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 a lot right. of it's okay. a lot of these these, these things. Uh, these these thought processes of 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 kind of community, <laughs> and in a weird way, it creates a sense of community. And and I think in many ways communities work like this. They're kind of helping each other, but in reality, we're all just trying to get ahead. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, if I can do something that doesn't harm me so much, you know, <laughs> these communities, I do something, or I see that it's also a, the markets work this way, right? In, in general, I see that there's a demand for this, so I generate it, hoping someone will use it. Um, right. So, so yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of that kind of stuff. So the, the interaction in Hamlet is extremely high. Um, there, there's, there's no take that elements per se, but uh, you know what other people do really changes what you can do, and what you do really affects what they can do. And so there's a very interesting dynamic uh, between the players. I think it's pretty unique in in that way. But I'm I'm biased because I made it, so don't listen to me. <laughs> Well, obviously you're not you're not alone. Everybody else wants to find out more about this too. Uh, we could deep dive into this much much further, but I feel like we've given everybody a taste. Everybody needs to see it for themselves. So if they're not going to be at Essen, where can they see this game? Where they can they hear more about it? Where can they learn more about your designs and stuff like that? So our website is not a bad place to start. 
mighty-boards.com. Um, th there will probably be posting uh, when we'll have pre-orders for the retail version. Our Discord is also there. You can also find it there. Uh, and there, that's where we interact with the community a lot and post a lot of new things that are happening. But uh, the Founders Edition of Hamlet is delivering right now to backers. And the retail edition will start printing very soon, and it will come to retail. I hope early next year or by the end of this year, somewhere around there. Um, that's our hope right now. How many games do you have in the hopper that are waiting to come out now? I mean, obviously, this is your big thing right now. It's going to take up your life for the next two months or whatever. How many things farther down the line do you have that you're excited about? And can you tell us anything at all, any hints about what's coming? Right. Sure. Um, well, there are like six different projects that we're working on currently. I think the biggest, the biggest one that we're all fo really focused on right now is Fate Forge, and Fate Forge I think is going to be really cool. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a, I, I like to call it a, a, um, a campaign dungeon crawler that respects your time. And, ah, okay. All right. Uh, that's kind of the concept here, and and it does work. It's, it's 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 really cool. I mean, in general, Mighty Boards, we're going through this accessibility kind of thing, like Hamlet. Is, is a medium weight, relatively crunchy game, but the, the rules are super simple to get into. It's re really easy to learn. Uh, within okay. 10 minutes, you're, you're, you're good to go, but then, it, but then the experience that it gives you and the, t and the time that you need to spend to get to satisfying experiences is, is really low. So it's really accessible in that, in that, in that way. And Fate Forge Chronicles of Khan is, 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 is a, in some way the response to me never being able to play games like Gloomhaven or... or or, or, or the Lord of the Rings one, um, you know, because I just don't have the time to set up a game for, for an hour and then play it for four hours. And then if I lose just on the last turn, I have to play it all over again. You know, I, I, I want to get through a satisfying campaign of growth and all of these things uh, while, while being able to actually do it within my busy schedule. So, yeah, Fate Forge does that. It, 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 a session is, can be as short as one hour. You can go through... Uh, a fight and two stories that that way and then and it flows really nicely between the fights and the stories and then you can if you want to play a four-hour session then great you can do that and a lot more will happen and a lot more things you will see and there's going to be a lot more stuff you know a lot of branching paths it has an app which remembers a lot of things that you can't do without an app so so it remembers a lot of things you'd be surprised which change which changes how the story goes and changes how people respond to you changes how so it really feels because that app hide certain things from you it really feels like there's a world out there that is reacting to you and that is really cool um uh, really cool about the game and we also use the app to to make the setup faster to remove a lot of the bookkeeping uh away from you so that so that to to achieve this accessibility right um so yeah i think i think fayforge it's it's actually on kickstarter right now uh but fayforge i think is going to be our focus going forward for a while i think that's going to be a really really great game uh, and then after that we're working on the expansion for hamlet i haven't told nice. anyone what that's what that's going to be but i've made hints but yeah uh you know in hamlet those shapes the way they combine with each other and uh, yeah. they sometimes leave gaps in the center that's that was on purpose from the beginning for the expansion because those gaps in the expansion become lakes so nice so, so in the expansion, there's going to be probably you're going to be making these lakes, and then you're going to be fishing, and then you're going to be building boats, and then it's going to become even oh. more of a of a thing of of a simulation in some way of all of that that we've been 
loving in, in all of these games. So that's kind of what I'm designing right now and what we're kind of testing. We have it working and now we're kind of testing uh, testing stuff. So yeah, it's going to be cool, I think. Well, cool. Well, this has been awesome. I think I could just keep talking with you, David. And like, like Talk about like mm-hmm. games, talk about Malta, and talk about so many other things. But yeah, I'd yeah, it's, yeah the yeah. oxygen is getting low. So let's go ahead and wrap this adventure up. We're on the surface now. Let's get you out of this sweaty sweat box that is a tabletop submarine. Thank you so much for coming on, David. If they, if they, people want to follow David Kirkchop, if they want to follow um, your game site, what what's the best way to do it? Thirty seconds, six, thirty seconds. It's the best way to do that. I am on Instagram. You can follow me at David Kirkop uh, on Instagram. You can follow me there. I sometimes post things about board games. Uh, the, uh, where else can you follow me? Um, the Mighty Boards channel is also a good place to do it on Instagram as well. We have Facebook pages uh, as well for the games as well as Mighty Boards in general. We post a lot of there. But if you want to interact with me, the best way to do that is probably through our Discord. And we have links for that on our website and on Facebook. So you can always join our Discord there or back one of my campaigns. And I'm super interactive with people in my campaigns. I talk to people a lot. I care about this, about the stuff that we're doing. So if you want to interact with me, those are the the, the platforms that are best. Awesome. Well, I wish you all the best next week at Essen. I hope Hamlet's a huge hit. It already is. Thank you. I can't wait to play it. Hopefully it comes to retail here soon. I can't wait to pick it up. Best of luck to you, David, and to Mighty Boards and to the, the Malt—is it Maltesian game scene? Is that the best way to say it? or Maltese game scene? Maltese game yeah. scene, yeah, yeah, Maltese game scene, yeah. It's not big; it's three people. <laughs> it's, it's bigger now. But. <laughs> well, listeners, thank you so much for going on another voyage with us. As always, I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. And I'm David. <laughs> and this has been the Tabletop Submarine. <laughs>